0: All right, guys, take your Bibles, open them, please, to the book of Acts, the 20th chapter, Acts chapter 20. Thank you for coming back. All right, I appreciate you coming back, those who have. A few gaps here, so some have left. Acts chapter 20, please. And uh, just said, uh, just challenging us as leaders this morning, I wanted to talk about leadership that Leading for impact, and guess what, I didn't get there, but I just mentioned some things that maybe some of us are leading out of the flesh, doing things that others are doing, and the Lord's, I think, telling us, do what I've told you to do, not what others are doing. I think leadership, some are leading out of fear. How many of you know it's a dangerous thing to make decisions for us and for God's people out of fear? It's a reality, but... Trust the Lord in this season. Fatigue, we stopped there and said, if you're tired and despaired, careful you don't make long-term decisions that you'll regret. Um, Don't give things up that God gave you because of your tiredness, including facilities and buildings, whatever that looks like. I'm not saying God's in your building, I know that, but somehow, like we just can't afford it. Well, if God gave it to you, ask God if you should give it up. Don't go to your bank, ask God. It's not about buildings. Well, just all these decisions are so easy to just say we don't need it. But God gave it to you, make sure that season's over. If you're not sure, get perspective. Get people to speak alongside you. But it's in faith, but I've watched people just make this. I've watched people shut down churches or just resign. Literally stand up and say, I'm done. And then we get a phone call, hey, would you come and help us? I'm like, there's a better way to do this. Legacy, long term, Right? We want to finish well. We want to run this race and finish well. To be honest, and I'm going to just tell you this, some of us are leading out of frustration. How many of you have been frustrated in this last little while? Put your hands up. Okay, well, no, no. Put your hands up if you haven't been frustrated. I mean, frustration is a real thing. But can I just say to all of us, any of us, whatever your role is as a leader, don't lead God's people out of frustration. Take your frustration to the Lord, not to the people. (laughs) Psalm 13. Psalm 13 is a great psalm to read, and and it's David saying, How long, O Lord? How long? I mean, David's crying out to God, how long? How many of you have gone through a season like that? How long? How long, oh Lord? I mean, how long are we locked up? How long are we shut down? How long, whatever your problem is. But it doesn't stay there. David moves in Psalm thirteen two. but you have been good to us. You have been good to me. So how long, but you've been good to me. And can I suggest that how long should be you and the Lord having that conversation, not you having that conversation with your people. How long, O oh Lord? And then you can come out and minister to the people, but you've been good to us. It's not dishonest. It's realizing the need for leadership to give courage and strength to God's people. So we've got to be careful. Even I've got to be careful this week not to get up here and speak out of the frustrations. I'm doing my utmost not to be frustrated. I'm not frustrated with you, just the seasons we've been through. But I'm going to be with the Lord. How long? Together, God's been good to us. Some phrases taken from various verses that speak directly to how to wait. Waiting is the worst thing in the world. I hate waiting. I must say, it's my pet peeve, and I'm learning patience. I hate waiting. Now we have to wait for everything when you travel. Have you tried traveling? Wait for everything. But there's some scriptures that have helped and helped me and Maybe help you just in the waiting. The Bible says in Psalm 27, verse 14, wait in expectation. Psalm 27, 14, be strong. What to do in waiting? Be strong. Take heart. Psalm 27, verse 14. Trust. Proverbs 3:5. Don't rely on your own understanding. Proverbs 3 5. Acknowledge him, Proverbs 3 6. Don't be afraid. Psalm 27, verse 3. Be still. Psalm 37, verse 7. Be diligent. Proverbs 21, 5. Lay requests before Him. Psalm 5, verse 3. Delight in Him. Not in the stuff or the stuff we don't. Delight in Him. Commit your plans to the Lord. Proverbs 16, verse 3. Let me say this to leaders. Don't wear yourself out. Proverbs 23, verse 4. These are things we do in the waiting. So we don't get frustrated and we need leaders who are faithful to Jesus and to his plan and his purpose, who are faithful with what he's given us to do. We need leaders who will fight the right battles. The battle is blazing, and some of you this morning are battle weary. And maybe it's because you are in a fight, but also some of us, as I said earlier, it's because we're fighting a battle, we're not called to fight. Stay on the wall. Build with those who God's given you, not those who left are getting you off the wall. You with me? We need to feed the sheep and stop entertaining the goats. We've got to be future focused. We have to have faith to obey. Okay, let's read. Acts 20 verse 17. Here Paul is calling for the uh, Ephesus elders and he's. We know this truth well, I'm sure we know this text, but he's calling for them and he he speaks over them. And here's the deal, guys, he knows he's not going to see them again. And so he kind of gives them some things to be aware of. And verse 17, he says, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I declared it and I demonstrated it. You know how I lived, not just the stuff I taught, how I lived. I want to just again say we need to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Have you ever thought about what your world would look like if all of your words actually began to happen? <laughs> what would the world, your world look like? If we're not willing to follow our word, we shouldn't speak those words at all. I want to say this when a leader does not preach his, his preaching, oh sorry, when a, man, when a leader's life does not preach his, his preaching, cannot live. If you don't live what you speak, you actually nullify the word you speak. In. Have you ever thought how embarrassing it would be to actually have to preach what you practice? <laughs> Verse 19, he goes on and he says, I served the Lord with great humility. And with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. Let me just pause for a moment and say, notice how he says I've not hesitated to, to preach anything that would be helpful to you. Think about that, preachers. He says I've preached what you needed, not what I needed you to hear. Man, we got to be careful, preachers, including this preacher standing here, that we don't share things that are helpful for us. That if I say this, then they'll do this for me. No, no, I'm preaching what's helpful for others. Paul said, "I, I preach what was helpful for you. Question at times, why are we preaching? Why are we saying what we say? Why are we covering this series in our church? Why are we going through this? Is it so we can or so we can teach them for them? Are you with me? You're very quiet. I'm not sure why. It's good news. This is awesome. Let me also say effective leaders give people something to believe in, not just something to do. Leaders like, eight, hey, can you do this and will you do this? And listen, we need people to do stuff, but if you want really people to buy in, give them something to believe in. And you know what we give them to believe in? The purposes of God. Don't tell them we need you to sit up and tell yes, we do, but that's not why they exist. We exist for the purposes of God. And when people buy into the purpose, they're going to help out in set up, tear down, making coffee and all the great things we need. But we're very good at saying, you do this, you do this. No, no, get people to buy in and believe into something bigger. Paul says in verse 21, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks, they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Can I just say to you guys, please understand, We don't make the gospel acceptable to man. The gospel makes man acceptable to God. Verse 22, now compelled by the Spirit. See that? The Spirit leading. We need some compelled by the Spirit stuff again in the church. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. If only I... uh, Oh, sorry, verse 23. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me to task of testifying the gospel of God's grace. Now, I've heard so many guys preach on that text And this is how we usually present it. My life is worth nothing. That's not what he said. Your life matters. Jesus gave his life for you. You can't walk around saying my life's worth nothing. That's not what Paul said. He said my life is worth nothing to me. I've settled, I don't live for me, but it doesn't mean my life's not worth nothing. It's worth everything. Jesus came for you, and I believe that Jesus would have come just for you if there was no one else on this planet. Do you believe that about you? I honestly believe that Jesus would have come just for me, and I'm no better than anyone else. He came for the masses and for every person, but He came for you. So don't walk around as a leader saying, my life's worth nothing. It's worth everything. But we've got to settle, it's worth nothing to me because I actually belong to someone else. He wanted to fulfill his destiny, his mission, his ministry. Verse 25 Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent. The blood of all men. What a testimony. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. And he says this, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now we haven't got much time, so I've got to just give you these points. But I hope you, if you're faithful, not to me, to God, you'll go home and read these scriptures and let them get in you. Because I do believe this is from God. Paul's last words: How many of you know they matter? He knew he wasn't going to see them again. Imagine if we were to preach like it was the last time we were preaching. We should probably do that a little more. I'm not trying to bring fear, but people are dying. No, just you know, people that were here are no longer here. I was in an equip in South Africa a little while ago and a man, one of my team members was in the front row and he went home and he died of COVID, just so you know. I don't want to freak you out or glorify COVID, but he got COVID. He had a lung issue and he died. He was in the front row and he's gone. And I thought, gee, I I probably shouldn't wait till Friday night to preach what I want to say. We'll have a build up to Friday night because I might not make Friday night. I'm not freaking out or trying to scare you, but how about we preach Like it's our last message every time we preach. You know what will happen? We'll probably get to the point, which I'm trying to get to today. i got an amen finally. But he says this, keep watch over yourself and the flock to which the Holy Spirit has called you an overseer. Now, we're talking to everyone this morning, and all of you are leaders. So here's the deal don't be so good at watching over everyone else that you miss watching over yourself. It's both. And I've been big on this finishing the race. I mean, I'm all about finishing the race. I I mean, I've preached so much. on it. One guy on our team took my notes and wrote a book. I didn't write that book. Apparently, I wrote a book. I didn't write it. He wrote it on my behalf with my notes. But it was on finishing the race, finishing the race. And I realized through COVID, I'm so focused on finishing the race. But there's another part we also call to complete the task. I want to say to you, if you only focused on finishing the race, you're only looking to cross that line, you're so busy looking there, you're missing the stuff God's called you to do here. And the church, I want to say, has got to get better at completing some of the tasks rather than just so focused on running that we forget about the reason we exist and the stuff we're going through and the people around us. Don't just look there. And I believe looking, finishing the race is keeping watch over yourself. But I believe completing the task is watching over the people God's called you to minister to. And it's not either or, it's both. And some of you all about that or some of you all about that. We've got to be about both. Am I making sense? So to lead effectively, we need to remember that we are, number one, sons and daughters first. I'm a, big, I'm a big preacher on the doer. I want to go do. I'm about doing. I mean, I'm just tired of we and me and you and I. And I want to get it done. Maybe I'm a Martha. I'm a man, but if I had to be. Like Mary's at the foot of Jesus. I'm like, let's get the job done. Get up, Mary. we got a job to do. Right? And laugh. But I realized that in the doing, you can often miss the being. And this isn't play on words. Think about this. I I was in a prayer meeting and and I was like really angry because I was saying, where were the prophets? And we have them here, and some prophesied good stuff, but (laughs) they got it wrong about my president. They got it wrong about COVID. No one even knew about COVID until they're here. And I'm like, Lord, where were the prophets? What is wrong with the prophets? And you know the Lord said to me, Where were you? <laughs> now you heard me already say, I don't claim to be a prophet. I'm not a prophet. And the Lord reminded me of John 15. I'm not John 15, remaining me and I remain in you apart from me he can do nothing. The whole vine and the branches, and of course, yeah, yeah. Right? But it goes on and says this: Jesus looked at his disciples and said, I no longer call you servant. I now call you friend. Because a servant does not know the master's business. But I've revealed to you everything my father has revealed to me. And I felt the rebuke in a good way, that going forward we need a posture shift We need to move from just being servants of Christ, which we are, to actually being friends of Christ, which means he reveals to us the master's business, which means he's not holding secrets from us. He wants to reveal the secrets of heaven. And while we need confirmation from the prophets, we don't need the prophets to tell us what God's saying. We get to go to Jesus, our friend, who's telling us as leaders where to go, what to do as people, as followers of Jesus. So I ask you this morning, are you a servant of him or are you also his friend? Because He calls you friend and wants you to know what He's done. See, we're sons and daughters first. And I've watched, I'm sure, you've seen people in ministry, in church, literally falling away. I've watched pastors fall out of the race. I've watched, and it's not a pointing of a finger, but maybe it's because we've put our faith in the stuff we do for him. And when the stuff's not working like we thought it should, we begin to question our identity and who we are. And I'm going to tell you this morning, before you're a pastor, a leader, an elder, a prophet, a apostle, whatever you're a son and daughter first. And that never changes. And it came up already. Someone had a word this morning about being a son or daughter. Who was it? Was it you, Darren? Someone. I'll give you the glory, but someone did. <laughs> but seriously, friends, listen, please. Oh, yes, yeah, sons and daughters, move to the stuff. Sons and daughters always first. Before you're a pastor, shepherd, church planter, prophet, evangelist, whatever your thing is, you're a son and daughter first. And the moment you move out of that, you're in danger of your identity coming undone. My identity was shaken through the season because I couldn't go because we were stuck staying. My job's to go. And so Zoom was my thing, and I'm over Zoom. I'm over. But the thing for me was where what am I doing? Am I even valuable anymore? And my great father in heaven took me aside and loved on me like a son and said, I'm your father, and you matter, not in your position, just because you're my son. It saved my life and ministry and it'll save yours too, friend. If you stop looking to people, giving you approval and look to God, your Father, being your Father first. The pressure you're under, the pressure I'm under to come up with the next preach and the next thing, the download I need for this week to carry this and to preach, I'm on my knees. Give me a download. And the Lord's like, I'm your Father, I'm not your download. Most of us go to God for a download because we've got to lead God's people. You're a son before you're a shepherd. So always my preaching or my praying was, okay, God, you, I'm preaching all week. I need some stuff from you, Lord. You know what I need? And I felt like, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm on my way to Adelaide if I get there on Saturday. If you stay away from COVID, don't bring COVID near me. And I can get to Adelaide and go see my dad and mom. And it's, Am I not going to Adelaide? Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) But seriously, I have missed my parents. I mean, forgive me, they're still alive, and I haven't seen them for years because of this crazy plague we've had. But I am so desperate, and God willing, I'm going this Saturday. And let me tell you, when I get there on Saturday, I'm not going to sit at the dining room table and say, Dad, you got a word for me. (laughs) Dad, have you got something you want to tell me while I'm here? I might never see you again. What do you want to say? My dad will be like, what is wrong with you, son? (laughs) Well, I'm here. I put time aside for you to talk to me. He's like, you're my son. If I want to say something, I will. If I don't, I just want to hang out with you. Are you listening, friend? And that's my father. He'll be like, what's wrong? My heavenly father's not my download, friend. I don't go to him for downloads. Stop. You're not a son or a daughter. If it's always, give me what I need to tell these people. Just go sit with him. Go and enjoy him. Take, don't even take your notes. Don't even take your preaching. Just go hang with Him. It changes everything. And what happens is when you do finally get to preach, you minister out of an overflow, and whatever you're teaching actually brings life, not death, because I've got a download that I borrowed from someone else. I, I, I'm not saying studying and, and, and preparing is not important. I do all that. But I want to tell you, if you're not going to Him just to be with Him, He's no longer your father and you're missing out on the very reason you exist on this planet. You're in danger of guaranteed to burn out and not finish the race if you don't go to him as your father first. You will always be a son and daughter no matter what position you carry in the church. Go to him as your father, not your download. Minister from that position, not for position. Our identity sets the tone of all we are, all we do, all we'll ever become. Those who live out of who they really are in Christ cannot be crippled by the opinions of others. And we're watching leaders getting crippled by everyone's opinions because they haven't gone to the Father to speak over them. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. Not because of what you do, just because I love you. If you live for people's acceptance, you will die by people's rejection. Jesus isn't who we say he is. But who he says he is. And you are not who they say you are, but who he says you are. This is not just Is this a game we're gonna play? Is this is this the handing this to me, the baton? Okay. I've got the baton now. Is this gonna die on me too? Promise. thanks man in him in him no not a conference in him we are significant please don't miss the moment I know this is funny but it's not it's like the devil in him you are significant in him you are sufficient In Him, you are secure. He's your Father first. And you are sons and daughters before anything else. And we got to work on our sonship and daughtership. See, when we're insecure, we react rather than respond. When we're insecure, we take more than we give. When we're insecure, we limit our best people. When we're insecure, we limit our ministry's effectiveness. When we're insecure, we delegate responsibility but we never give authority. When you're insecure, you're very quick to speak into others' lives but not quick to receive feedback in your own life. When you're insecure, you make others feel inferior make others feel insecure. You make people feel illegitimate. You make people feel inadequate. How many of you know that's not leadership? We should be creating opportunity for people to be who God's called them to be. That's why, my friends, it's not a put on. It's not a download. It's not a podcast. It's not even the Bible. It's you being with your father. You're a son and daughter first, regardless of anything else. The second S Not only are we sons and daughters, we are sheep still. Now there's somehow this understanding, and I know we, but it's almost like the moment you are ordained as an elder, as a shepherd, you suddenly think you cease to be a sheep. You'll never not be a sheep. You will always be a sheep. And not the weird sheep, the Bible sheep. Are you listening? Shepherds are, you don't graduate from being a sheep when you become a shepherd we are always sheep. And the problem and why I think we're seeing men and women fall out of the race is because they are now shepherds or they've been set into a position. They they think they no longer have sheep needs. The reason you're a leader is because you've learned to go to the shepherd to get your sheep needs met. That's what makes you a shepherd, not because you don't have needs, because you know how to go to the true shepherd. And now you can function as an under-shepherd because you've had your sheep needs met by the true shepherd. Now listen, if your sheep needs are not met by the shepherd, you need the sheep to meet your needs. And you're in serious danger of abusing God's people. You'll never stop being a sheep. When God speaks to the sheep, He's speaking to you as pastors also. When we're readying the bride for the return of Christ, don't be so readying her that you forget you're part of that bride and you better get ready too. Are we okay? Are we friends? Are we good? I'm a sheep, so are you. Don't forget that. And make sure you're dealing with your sheep needs. And go read Psalm 23. We're going to do that this morning. It's amazing how we bring out Psalm 23 to funerals. And we read it for dead people and go, well, they're dead, but let me read, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, Let me just tell you, it's not a dead person's psalm. David didn't die and then write that. David wrote this out of an understanding. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall have no wants. He leads me besides the quiet water. He guides me. He leads me. He feeds me. Friends, that's what we need if we're going to lead effectively. It's not going to be follow man, follow people. Be led by the shepherd. Become under the shepherd. Get fed by the shepherd. Be led by the shepherd. Be guided by the shepherd. And you will be an effective leader in the kingdom of God. I just step on our toes for a minute. Yes, sir, <laughs> we need to know where we're vulnerable. Yes. None of you have graduated from vulnerability. Wow. We all have vulnerability. Yeah. And we better know where it is. Not a trick. We know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm begging under God that we deal with these needs, these sheep needs, yeah. we go to the Father. And let me tell you, there's a lot of things that we expect of our spouses to give us needs that only God can meet. You cannot put that on your spouse or your pastors or your leaders or your people. That's why you've got to go to God. But some of us are allowing the vulnerabilities. Too busy doing ministry rather than watching over ourselves. And we love each other enough to say it can happen to anyone. Look at what's happening around the world. Don't point fingers. Look and learn. It can happen to them. It can happen to you. I think there are three faces, if I could put it like that, three faces of our lives in leadership and in ministry. There's this public world where everyone sees it and we post it. It's all over posting. I'm not anti, I you think I am, I'm not. But we play to what people see on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. That's not your life, my dear friend. That's fake. But there's this public world that we carry. And everybody thinks that's who we are. And we so care about who's liking what we're posting and what we're saying and our statements. And I, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble saying this, but some of us post a quote, you said it. Get over yourself. Just post the quote. Why do you have to say your name? I mean, what, who, what are you promoting here? I'm serious. <laughs> Forgive me. I just don't know. I'll read it and I want to delete it and say, you're so Awesome. You should have written the Bible because that's straight out of the Bible anyway. Sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I, I mean, you, you know how arrogant you look? I said. You know, when I, half the things I say, I don't know who said them. And even if I said them, I will say someone said them because I don't know who said it. Who cares? But when you've got to say, Leo Nacotra, tw- Yeah, okay, he he posted and then his name, he said it. I'm like, come on, dude. Do you want me to quote you? Leo said this. Who cares who said it? Right? I mean, yeah, okay, sorry. (laughs) Listen, friends, there's a public world and most of us, if we're honest, we play to that in ministry. How many likes? How many like what I say? Whom is watching? How many likes? Who's approving? Who's agreeing? I'm just telling you, that's not your life. Stop playing to that life. There's another face in leadership and ministry. It's our personal world. And this gets a little more intimate. And those are those who are close to us. And if we're married, our wives or husbands or our family or friends, those close to us, that's another aspect to the faces of our lives and ministry. So there's this public, there's this personal, but then there's this private world. And I want to tell you, that's where you really are who you are. That's the world where only you and God see. And this is an accusation. This is a father looking out for his children. This is a sheep understanding. We have needs and we got stuff. That's where you deal with your sheep stuff. You and God, no one else sees. This doesn't feel bad. This is deal with us. Because you're sheep. You will always have sheep needs. And if you're not dealing with that, you're going to look to people. You're going to play the public thing. And then you're going to watch. And I've listened to pastors tell me recently, everything outside, our ministry is growing. The church is growing. People are, but inside, I'm decaying. I'm dying. I'm falling out. Why? Because I'm not taking care of this. I'm too busy focused on this. Now, I ask you under God, flip it round and come back to this. Look over yourself and the people. Not them, then you. You, then, them. them. Is this alright? we So good, man. So good. I'm not above this. I'm I'm saying this to you as I'm saying it to me. Mirror and lens. Integrity. That's who you are in that private world between you and God. Deal with those things, my dear friends. Alright? So number one, we are sons and daughters. Secondly, we are always sheep. Sheep first, still sheep, only sheep. Okay? Thirdly, we are stewards. I believe stewardship needs to come back in the church again. And pastors and elders and leaders and pastors, we need to understand we're stewards. You know the thing about a steward? A steward owns nothing, but has been entrusted with everything. Can you imagine stewarding the kingdom, stewarding the people rather than, Owning them. I listen to people, my people, my church, and I know we talk. it's not yours, never will be, no one owns anything. There's only one who purchased them with his blood. They belong to him, and he's entrusted you to take care of them for him, not for you. They're never going to belong to you. And even if you've taken ownership by laying your life down, you still are a, a steward. You owe nothing, but you've been given access to everything. See, so I, I love riding Harley motorcycles. I probably just lost half of you there. In my country, in my state, we don't even get to wear helmets on a motorcycle. How cool is that? I've lost some of you right there, I know. But it's awesome to ride a Harley with no helmet. That's like the living dream for me. And so we get to do it every day. It's brilliant. But before I had a Harley, I had a, I borrowed, I had a Harley, I, I got given a Harley, A whole story. And I was riding it, and my friend who came to visit me rented a Harley so he could ride with me. And so we are riding, and I'm like, I could see he's not enjoying that bike as much as he would enjoy my bike. So we stopped somewhere, and I said to him, Hey, dude, do you want to ride my bike back? Now, listen, if you ever get asked, Do you want to ride someone else's Harley, you must say no. <laughs> That's Harley etiquette, but he had no idea about that. And I didn't mean it. I was like, "Hey, um, do you want to ride my bike?" Like I was expecting, and he goes, "Yeah, actually, I wouldn't mind doing that." And I was like, "Oh," and then you're like, "I didn't really mean it," but okay, here we go. But here's what I want to say: the ride there was awesome, and I was doing whatever I want because my bike. I feel comfortable in my bike. It Doesn't matter; it's my bike. Now I'm on a rental bike riding back. It's a different ride. It's still fun, but now I've got to give this bike back when I get down the mountain. It's not mine to do what I want with it. Now I need to make sure I can give it back because I've got to be faithful with someone else's. I'm just telling us, she's not yours. We've got to give her back to the one Who purchased her with his blood? So enjoy the ride, but she's not yours. We're stewards. We've been trusted. He's entrusted us. Paul said, "Now it is required." In First Timothy, uh, First somewhere, First One Corinthians four two. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful, not faithful to a task, faithful to a trust. Are you still faithful? Are you proving faithful? Not to the task, to the trust. Are you still trustworthy? And those of you who feel God's called you into this stuff, are you trustworthy? Am I trustworthy? Am I still proving faithful to the trust? Be fruitful and multiply is what we were called. I want to tell you, multiplication is one of the signs of fruitfulness. Of faithfulness. I ask people wherever I go, tell me about faithfulness. What's the fruit of uh, w- w- what is the fruit of faithfulness? Anyone want to give me what faithfulness is? Like what? Get, throw out a no, no wrong or right. I won't judge you. What? He said multiplication. Ah, whatever, dude. Okay. So. <laughs> When I ask people, what is, what is a sign of faithfulness? They like our loyalty, uh, endurance, what? Commitment. Commitment. I mean, those are all right. But no one I've ever, except for him, but he heard me, I'm sure, say this. <laughs> no one ever says uh multiplication. But you know, Jesus actually taught Matthew 25 when he talked about the talents. You know what he said? The one with one talent... One with two talents, and one with five talents. Remember the story? And he gave one five, one two, and one one. And he gave them two, and he said, go and take care of them. when he came back, he said, okay, the one with five had doubled his, and he said, you good and faithful servant. Good, faithful steward. I'm going to trust you and give you more. The one with two, same thing. Came and said, hey, why did you give him five and I only got two? I'm not happy about it. No, no, he went and multiplied. He said, good and faithful. But the one with one dug a hole Daryl dug a hole, put it in there, (laughs) covered the hole, and waited for the return. The master comes back. The master says, where's the tally? He comes and says, here. Now listen, he gives back what he was given. We would say faithful. Didn't lose it. Gave it back. And the master looked at him and said, you wicked and lazy servant. Why? Because you gave me what I gave you. You didn't multiply. Stewards are called to multiply. Alright, we've got to move on. Are you good? We're friends. Are you very happy and quiet? But, okay. Number four. We are servants. So we are sons and daughters. We are sheep. We are stewards. We are servants. I do believe we need to serve and have a heart to serve. How many of you know Jesus didn't come to be served, he came to serve. And I listen and I watch, and I'm just challenging us that so many people want leadership so they can be served. You got the wrong understanding of leadership in the kingdom. And it's not going to change. It's the same. God wants it. He has not put us here to be served, He calls us to serve others. And we are servants. We are servants. Yes, we're friends, but we're servants of Him. Leadership requires service and sacrifice. Sacrifice, surrender, giving up your rights. You don't have rights when you're a leader. You've given them up and leading God's people. Serve, don't be served. You serve her, but she's not your master. Jesus is your master, not the church. But we're called to serve. Number five, we are shepherds. Shepherds. Now, you might not be a pastor yeah, this morning or an elder, but you've got to have a heart for people. God's given you a heart for people. All leadership should have a shepherd-hearted leadership. Caring. Now, it's interesting. It doesn't say do shepherding. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes, it says, be shepherds. It's not something we put on. It's something we are. Be shepherds. Of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. We call to shepherd, care for, love. John 10, go read it. 1 Peter chapter 5. Great truths about genuine job descriptions for shepherds. Ezekiel 34, the warning is, Woe to the shepherds who only take care of their own needs. Should not shepherds take care of the needs of the people? Think about it, friends. The decisions we're making. I'm not having a go. But we make decisions based on what's best for the leaders, not what's best for the people something's wrong we're there to lead them take care of them because they belong to him in psalm 78 verse 72 speaks of david the great shepherd it says david shepherded them with integrity of heart with skillful hands he led them note motive is everything in this he shepherded them with integrity of heart Genuine shepherding is not if I do this, what will I get? Shepherding is I do this regardless if I get anything. And I'm just, it's easy in any kind of leadership. For my role, it's easy to utilize my position and manipulate and tell things from the pulpit and tell people my needs. I can use my position to manipulate people to serve me. And so can you, anyone in this room integrity of heart is saying I'm going to do what I've got to do and I'm going to love you whether you love me or not. And even if you're not the richest guy in our church, you're the poorest who has nothing, I'm going to love you equally because my heart is integrity of heart and skillful hands. Shepherds, take care of the sheep. Connect with the right people. Please, don't waste your time with people who don't want to connect with you don't know what to tell you. Love them, but don't waste your time with them. The scripture Richard read this morning, reliable, invest in reliable. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. People who are not just reliable as in, they trustworthy. They're people who want to be with you. I remember my dad saying to me, "Tyrant, don't waste your time. Don't give 90% of your time to those who give you 10% of your time. And I was like, ah, you're just old and tired now. and Let me run my No, you know, you've done this and You know, when when guys get older, now I'm 50, I'm old. So I'm like, you're wasting, I tell my sons, you're wasting your time, boys. Oh, dad, you're old. We know what we do. And then when they hit 50, they're like, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't have wasted my time. Just, it's not an age thing. Just don't waste your time with people who don't want to be with you. Don't wish for them what they don't want at the expense of those who are waiting for you to invest in them. You know, this people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Care, love, always love. Let's value the individual in our church and in the street. It's not the bigness of what we're part of. God came for individuals. We must care for individuals. Doesn't matter how big your church gets, how big NCMI is, we got to care for every single person. We got to. Give time to people. We've got to say hi to people. Not get rushed out of here and get into my getaway cone. Take me to my hotel. Bring me back. And have all the security guards because I'm God's man of power. It's nuts. And people put up with it and pay for it. Nuts. Come back to loving God's people, being with the sheep. You don't have the right to preach to sheep if you don't connect with sheep. Can I just say this too? Entrust them with greater leadership responsibility. Entrust, affirm those who bear fruit and redeem those who fail. We love to affirm those who are doing well. You're doing such a great job, well done. But those who are failing, redeem them. Don't just ignore them. You know, one of those pastors who fell recently in our country, who was part of this country, and I won't go into who and just don't guess who, and not them who you're thinking of either, so just... And I'm telling you, it's like the church is gloating. Ah, see? So big, failed. Not God wasn't part. All this rubbish. Come on, stop gloating in the church's failure and people falling. We should be grieved. We should be broken. It better break your heart. Not because of the church, because of that poor family. they people, whether you like them or not. And they're called by God, chosen by God. And a lot of people, even in this room, are walking in what they are because of some of what they walked in. And I, I'm not saying we should endorse it. I'm just saying be careful how you treat people who fall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just man, Aussies, we're good at taking everyone out. <laughs> I knew it. Too big. God can't be in the big church. He, he, he's everywhere. He can be in anything He wants. Just watch over yourself and be careful, but don't gloat. David lamented when Saul was dead. He didn't rejoice. Ah, oh, now it's my time. He lamented. He wept when Saul, who was going to kill him, tried to kill him. And now David's time. David wept and lamented how the mighty have fallen rather than praise God. It's my time. Let me show you. I told you they were a joke. We're the real deal. Be careful. It doesn't help the kingdom. Are we okay? Gee, I feel like we're getting... I'm landing, it's lunchtime. <laughs> but I remember when that thing happened in, another, in my country with a connection and I remember reading an article by, written by an atheist. And the atheist was standing for the pastor that had fallen and he said, I'm going to stand with this man and his family and he wrote a statement in his, in his article, and he said this, that the church is the only organization that bury their wounded. And unfortunately, we do that all the time. Someone struggles, someone falls, we like, <clears throat> you're buried, you're dead, you're no good to us and we move on. Our job is to redeem and restore. That doesn't mean they have to come back to full position in the local church, but surely we don't just bury them because they're wounded. Do you think Jesus would have just buried people? He took wounded people. He affirmed those who who were stubborn. He redeemed people. The woman caught in adultery wasn't just a moment. It was the heartbeat of Jesus wherever He went. And he didn't just, what she was doing was wrong, but he brought her out. He didn't just leave her there, trash her there, stone her, or let the Pharisees stone her. Yeah, we like, yeah, if I don't identify with that guy, I'd probably lose people in my church. You better identify with Jesus and the people he's called you to identify. And Ozzie, I prophesy there's going to be an awakening of more men and women who are going to come back to the call. of Will they be allowed in the churches we lead, or are we going to shut it down because... I don't want to mess with those guys. And lastly, number six, we are seers. We are seers. All of us need to be seers. And not the prophets only, all of us. God doesn't give position in the church to people who are not able to see. He doesn't wait for you to get a prophet to tell you what he's doing. You've got to see what God's doing. All leaders need to be seers. Seeking God, understanding the seasons we're in. How many of you know, we need to know the seasons so we know what to do in the season. It's up to us to go to God for that. We need, we need to see what He's doing. Some of us, in the busyness, In the pain of the season, in the trying to make it through, perhaps, and I felt the Lord say this, we've become like Jesse. We've overlooked those in our own home by so busy looking for people who've yet to come. We need to be serious. Who do we have in our home? Not as in your physical home, spiritual home. I've never met a pastor who doesn't want that person. If only that person was in our church, we could get something done. If that person was in my church, if you were in my church, if, but I've got these guys. We're so busy looking to there that we're forgetting there's David sitting in your house. And Jesse, Jesse overlooked his own son. It's, it's, it's the greatest king other than Jesus was overlooked by their father in their house, so Samuel arrives and says, bring out your sons, and they all come, and he's looking around, and he's overwhelmed, by like, yeah, it must be this guy, no, not him, must be him, No, him, and then eventually, he's like, hey, David, I mean, uh, Jesse, like, I mean, God kind of said it's one of your sons, but have you got any other kids, like, is there anyone else here to ask? And Jesse's like, mm, let me think. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, he probably didn't do that, but um, I'm making the point. Ah, I do have another son. You're right, yeah. But hang on, he's taking care of the sheep. Like, yeah, that's probably a good sign. Yeah. Bring him in. Comes in. David's ignorant. What's going on here? Why are you looking at me? This is him. The Lord says, man looks at the outward appearance. But I, God, I look at the heart. This is the one I have chosen. Not you chose him. Not you picked him. I chose him. Jesse missed the moment and had to be asked by the man of God to remind him again of who's in his house. God's saying to some of us, don't be Jesse. Look, who you've got, because some of those people, God's calling you to bring them in and release them to what God has, can we stand together, is that cool, you guys are awesome, thanks so much for coming, and uh, appreciate you heaps, be my friend, are we friends, appreciate you, thank you for the opportunity, let's just pray together, then I'll hand it back to Leah, are you okay to lift your hands, if you could do that, please, let's, Just lift our hands for a minute here, and I'd like to pray over us. Father, we again extend our hands to heaven this morning, simply acknowledging that we want to walk in what you've said, and we want to do what you've called us to. I pray this morning that which is me would fall aside, but that which is you would take root in every heart, and not just take root, but would be fruitful and multiply and come and... Bring us into these things that you've promised, we pray. I thank you for my friends in this room. Thank you, they've stayed the course. Thank you, you've never let them go. But I pray that we'll be serious about these truths, that we are sons and daughters, that we are sheep, that we're shepherds, that we are seers, that we are servants. Whatever else we are. Let us live in the freedom and the reality, regardless of the position we carry in the church. We want to serve you faithfully every day of our lives. Thank you for calling us. We we did not choose you. You chose us. We want to walk faithfully in this time and see. Let the church arise because of leaders who are strong in their conviction and are settled in their calling. And if there's been any question this morning, would you just solidify it in the hearts this morning? As we build on what's been said, some of the doing, may we never forget who we are. We want to be, not just do. We bless you, King Jesus. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks, guys.